Hey guys, and welcome to episode 37 of Underrated, a show where we talk about films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing pretty well as well. Um, and joining us today is uh, Blaine Grimes from Home One Radio. It's uh, great to have you on, Blaine. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. Um, and so, before we move on, I'd like to ask you guys, if you in a, enjoy the show, to please go take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes. It doesn't have to be a lot, just a few words and five stars would be very helpful and we would very much appreciate it. Um, so, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Blaine, before we move on and what you might be up to online. Sure. Well, where to start? You mentioned Home One Radio, so I guess I'll start there. So uh, I am a co-host and co-creator of Home One Radio, which is a Star Wars podcast. I know they're hard to come by. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're another Star Wars podcast. Um, we're a weekly podcast, and we usually the the thing that somewhat sets us apart from a lot of the Star Wars podcasts that are out there is instead of focusing on um, news and stuff like that, that that people can find from a lot of other sources and a lot better sources. Um, we sort of dive into some of the stories we have in the canon from, you know, be it comics or novels or whatever. Um, and we really try to, to analyze the, the stories of Star Wars. We say our tagline is that we're where a love of story and a love of Star Wars meet. Um, and then we also do some interviews with um, authors or creators or people who are just involved in the Star Wars fandom in, in one way or another. Um, so I do Home One Radio. I also um, host my own podcast um, that's part of the Real World Theology Podcast Network. Um, and it's a monthly podcast called Real World Rewind. And we take a look back at, at older movies. Um, and it's sort of a, a, a branch off, po- a spinoff podcast, if you will, from the regular Real World Theology Podcast. The main Real World Theology Podcast focuses on uh, current releases, and I get to look at the older ones, and I co-host that with my wife. Um, so we have a lot of fun talking about movies there, and um, I write reviews for Real World Theology, and then I also write um, for Christ and Pop Culture, and there I don't just write about movies, I kind of write about whatever I want that is pop culture related. And I think that sums up most of my online presence. Who all have you had on as guests? Oh... I have, in the past few months, I haven't had many guests on because my wife sort of just joined up as a co-host. Um, but I've had um, Aaron White from Feel and Film, who I know has been on your podcast. I've had all of the the Real World Theology crew, so um, Mikey, Gene, and, and uh, Josh. Um, and I've had Alexis Johnson, who also is sort of in Real World Theology circles, and a handful of others. Now everyone I didn't mention gets... <laughs> to be ashamed <laughs> or sad all right and uh so since you're the guest this week uh we are looking at your pick blaine what are we looking at we are going to be talking about stephen summer's 1999 remake of universal's classic the mummy so 1999 mummy nice which is pretty appropriate to talk about this month <laughs> yes it is uh but before we get to the main topic have you seen any cool films this week that you want to talk about uh let's start with you blaine yeah i i I know you do this segment every week and I was trying to think about it and I haven't seen as much as I normally do because I've been on vacation. I've been traveling. I know a lot of people when they go on vacation, they see more movies, but I actually see fewer movies when I'm on vacation because I see a lot of movies just in my normal day to day life. Um, Priorities, man. I know. I know. 
I have rewatched. I've been rewatching a little bit, a few episodes of Twin Peaks, trying to get um, ready for the the new season that's coming up. Um, even though I don't know how or when I'm going to watch that because it's a Showtime show and I don't get Showtime, and not all that jazzed about subscribing to Showtime just to watch one show. <laughs> but nevertheless, I digress. So I've watched a little bit of that, and then I watched. Um, I think at least one. Uh, Simon uh, Lang film because he always relaxes me and calms me down. Um, I find him a very uh, peaceful filmmaker to, to watch. And I think that's about it. So, so not much going on. Who is he? Um, Simon Lang is um, a, uh, he's a Taiwanese director who's part of the uh, second Taiwanese new wave. Um, and he does these very, very, very slow deliberately paced films that usually look at people who live on the the outside of the margins of society. Um, And he uses extreme long takes. So like 13, 14, 20 minute takes sometimes. What would some of his films be? I think his most famous film is um, Stray Dogs. Or is it Stray Dog? I can never remember if it's Stray Dog or Stray. I think it's Stray Dog, maybe. Um, and then probably um, Goodbye Dragon Inn. Oh, probably his two most well-known films, at least well-known internationally. Interesting. And uh, how about you, James? So this has been another like slow movie week for me. Um, I watched, uh, I think the only one coming to mind immediately is um, Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I rewatched that with some friends. And man, that movie is, it's, it doesn't like, I feel like it's pretty easy for a movie to get me cry, to get me to cry, and I don't, I don't really cry in that movie, even though a lot of other people do. But it's still like, it affects me in a way that a lot of movies don't. I think it just, it feels super real, like the way it deals with the concept. It it doesn't like dramatize it in any way, and the way that um, he just the director just kind of has multiple moments of people like stumbling over their words or messing up on something. It just, it felt exactly like what that situation is like. Or not. Have you seen it? I can't remember. I have not. I have. I, I, I absolutely get what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. It's, and seeing that in theaters was just this odd experience where it was a packed theater sometime around Christmas. And I was doing like the laughing crying because it's a movie that will make you laugh and cry in the same breath almost. Um, and you have these very conflicted emotions and I was sitting right next to these people. I went by myself. Um, my wife didn't want to go see it. Um, and so I'm sitting next to these people. I don't know in a packed theater, just having these very weird emotional responses. (laughs) Um, it it was pretty fun. It's, it's weird. Like I can't really think of another movie quite like it where, where it does exactly what you say. It's, it's just this mixture of everyday kind of just humor that we experience along with another like sadness that we don't experience every day, but that still feels very real. Like any, there's probably a lot of people who have been in either that situation or a situation similar, maybe not where you're having to become someone's guardian, but just the idea of, of losing a loved one like that. And not just the immediate after effect, but kind of like as the weeks go and the way life moves on and just the way different people react with it. And I don't know, it's such a, it's a weird movie because it feels like with the music and 
his camera work is just it feels so precise like everything he does feels so meticulously thought out but then it, you have just these like these people who aren't like not that they're idiots but like not not super like sophisticated people and it's, it's this weird blend of everyday average people but the movie itself just feels incredibly well crafted and i don't know it like I said, it's just weird for... I can't really think of another movie that quite hits all the notes that it does. Interesting. I probably should check that out. It's excellent. It's definitely worth it. All right. So I, I saw a couple, so I'm going to try to speed through them. First, uh, actually, on your recommendation, James, I went and saw 21 and 22 Jump Street. Um, and I surprisingly really enjoyed them. I generally don't like R-rated American comedies. I find the humor very lazy and juvenile, just... And generally lacking really any type of wit, but uh, I found these pro- like a whole, on a whole another level than most films of their type. Uh, first off, just Channing Tatum and uh, Jonah Hill are such a great pair together. Their chemistry is really really strong. They're really funny, um, and being directed by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they're the guys who made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego Movie. Uh, visually, I think they are much stronger. Uh, just from a technical perspective, than most most uh, uh, comedies, just the editing is feels a lot more purposeful and and just provides a lot more momentum. Um, the whole all the pacing throughout is very strong, and there's a lot of great just sight gags and just thing. There's always something funny happening. Um, but what what really works is just how well they both mimic and also kind of send up all these different tropes whether it be from cop films, buddy pictures, high school movies, or even rom-coms. They just, they kind of, they go through all the tropes, but all they also kind of send them up in a very uh, funny, clever way. Um, I don't think they're great, but uh, I had a lot more fun watching them than I thought I would. Yeah, that, uh, the slam poetry scene from 22 Jump Street, uh, I still <laughs> laugh about, about at least once a week, I think. And every time I see like a slam poetry sign on some coffee shop or something like that, I, I go back to that scene. I had a really similar like reaction to those as you, Gabriel, where I honestly, there's there's really not a whole lot of American comedies that I like. Uh, it's not that I don't like any of them. There's obviously some some great ones out there, but for the most part, especially with recent years, most of them are just completely over the top, ridiculous with pretty much no time, it seems like, put into actually writing good characters or good dialogue. Uh, The movies, to me, feel slapped together. Like, there was the person who put this movie together, it just doesn't feel like they've got a lot of experience in editing or at least, you know meaningful experience and so i usually walk away not really liking a lot of them but with this one and it's because it's um you know phil uh phil lord and chris miller their their humor i because i love cloudy with the chance of meatballs and lego movie uh and this this had to me even though it's it's definitely not similar to those in a lot of other aspects (laughs) it still had a, a certain kind of wit like the way that characters reacted to each other um they they, i think they just understand like group dynamics and how to write characters with good chemistry um so all of that to me just translated really well into these movies Uh, i like the way that they did kind of send up of different genres 
uh, and it felt the movies themselves felt very confident in themselves, and I, I think that helped them out a lot too, as well as just having a great cast. Uh, and the the Johnny Depp cameo is just awesome. It's one of my favorite scenes in like a comedy. Uh, and I, I, you'll probably be talking about the the directors pretty soon uh, over on Home One, given that they're doing the new Han Solo movie. Yeah, for sure. We're Josh and I are both uh, pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes. I wouldn't normally peg them for Star Wars directors, but they they seem to be pretty talented all around. So I'm sure they can pull it off. All right. Th- then I went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is the fifth installment in the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. And it was slightly better than the last one, but overall, I found it just very meh. Um, the writing is still the biggest downfall. I mean, it has been, I think, since the second Pirates film, but with these two last ones, it's especially egregious. Just There seems to be very little thought in, into giving these characters actual meaningful arcs or setting them up properly or developing throughout the plot. It's like they'll... Right around the end, they'll realize, oh, yeah, we need character moments in the climax because that's what other films do. And they'll slap together some kind of contrived character beat that just doesn't land. And overall, just the plots don't make a lot of sense. They're kind of rambling and they'll have scenes that have no purpose. Um, the two new directors they brought on, they do have better visual style than Rob Marshall, which I found very, very poor in the uh, in on Stranger Tides. But I think it's still... The, especially in the action scenes, it's very bland. Um, there's not a lot of creative stuff. There, there are, especially towards the beginning, there's one really fun sequence in the beginning, but otherwise I found the action very disappointing, which is kind of irritating considering just how great uh, Gore Verbensky was in the first three films at crafting these amazing, memorable pieces of action that he would not only, not only were they actually funny, and very creative, but he also is able to weave in character moments that I thought worked quite well. Um, I just don't think this series has had really much of anything going for it since he left. I mean, I'm not going to argue that Dead Man's Chester at World's End are great films, but the way Gore Verbinski directs movies, it it just makes them very memorable and exciting, even amidst the, the horrible rambling plots. They're still impressive and very very ambitious and and these last two films have just lacked all of that um the one thing that i did like though was that i think they wrapped up will and elizabeth's character arcs quite well uh, but otherwise yeah it's not great yeah i obviously um my pick for one of our episodes was dead man's uh chess so i'm a pretty big fan and often uh apologist for the pirate series um I still kind of like On Stranger Tides, but I definitely agree that Marshall lacked like just the the imagination and then talent to execute that imagination that Gore Verbinski had. Um, Verbinski to me always makes entertaining movies. Even his like bad movies are entertaining, and I always end up having a good time. Like it's super easy and popular to hate. Uh, Lone Ranger and I get it like there's a lot of things wrong with that movie but for, <laughs> for everything wrong with it it's equally as enjoyable at least to me and the train sequence at the end is just it's one of like the coolest and most well together or well put together like climaxes ever it, it, he just 
he has a way to weave together these big set pieces and everything works. You see the beats as they happen and it all it all makes sense. It never feels random and the cuts never obscure anything. And, and like you said, he cares about his characters and he finds ways to organically weave them into what's going on in the action. So I kind of, I, I really liked uh, some of the trailers for uh, the, the new one, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So I had higher hopes, um, but <laughs> they've pretty much been dashed at this point. I'll, I'll probably still see them or see it, but my my expectations will be considerably lower. And uh, lastly, I saw Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, and it was actually even better than I remembered uh, from my last rewatch. It's essentially like a rom-com buried in this really sleek, sexy spy film. And I find it just really, really entertaining. Um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are just, they're both very attractive people. And they have this really phenomenal uh, chemistry together. And uh, Doug Lyman is, I mean, he's an amazing director, you know, the Born Identity, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. So he does great action, and he has a, he always has a really strong sense of just pacing and direction. So the film never slows down like a lot of comedies do. It's always moving. Uh, I think it, it loses its way just a bit towards the end, but overall, it's just a very entertaining film to watch. The chemistry, the, the script, all of that is just, it's just very engaging and uh, entertaining. Way better than any film with its uh, premise should be. Have either of y'all seen it? I actually haven't seen it, though. It's honestly, when you say it's way better than it's, it should be based on the premise. The premise is probably why I haven't seen it. It's it, it's not a movie that's ever really interested me. But honestly, I I really like Doug Liman, so I probably should check it out. Um, so I may give it a watch pretty soon. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's one that I've I've had on my list to watch for quite some time, and I just seem to always get around to other things before it. But I'll get to it one day, I'm sure. But it's kind of right there with, um, oh, what's the name of that movie that's very similar with, I think it's Chris Pine, maybe, Reese Witherspoon, This Means War. They're like... Tom Hardy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's It's funny, because that's always what I think of every time I think of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do a double feature someday. I don't know. Which which I heard that movie was really bad. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not it's not incredible, but I think it's, it's very good kind of comfort food. I think like the film or what we're talking about today, it's just a nice movie to sit down and watch. It's just entertaining all throughout. Um, so, is there anything else you all want to mention before we move into the uh, main review? I think I'm ready. Yeah, I'm good to go too. All right, let's begin our review for the Mummy. Indiana Jones and the Shameless Knockoff was released in... Hang on, wait. Sorry, (laughs) wrong franchise. Um, The Mummy was released in 1999. It is a remake of the classic 1932 film by the same name starring Boris Karloff. It was written and directed by Stephen Summers on a budget of $80 million. It grossed uh, $415 million. It stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, Kevin J. O'Connor, and Oded Fair. It was shot by Adrian Biddle, and the score was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, a pretty legendary film composer. And uh, Blaine, I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis on this film, if you don't mind. Will do. 
After an adventuring American stumbles across the tomb of an ancient mummy, he is recruited to return to the cursed place in order to help a team recover a lost artifact. But they get more than they bargained for when they awaken the creature and unleash a plague upon the world. Nice. Um, So this is your pick. I'll let you start. What is it you like about this movie, Blaine? So where where to start? I I'm a huge fan of the Indiana Jones films, and frankly, I'm a huge sucker for any kind of treasure hunting movie or movie that has some sort of adventuring element in it. Um, I'm usually prone to to like those movies, and I'll I'll see just about anything that has treasure or or adventuring or exploring as a as a premise. Um, so so there is that. It has that going for it. But I think ultimately. Uh, the reason that this is a movie that I still rewatch on occasion all of these years later um, is because it, it was a part of my childhood. Uh, this movie came out when I was nine years old, nine, ten years old. And you're at that age where you want to start trying to watch some sort of scary movies. And uh, this movie sort of hit me right at, right in that period. And I think I went over to... A friend's. I didn't see this movie in theaters, but um, I remember the trailer campaign, and I remember the whole bit about the the sand wall was what everyone was talking about. And I, I think I went over to a friend's birthday party. Um, we had a bunch of guys over. We were going to do uh, a sleepover, and we wanted to watch a scary movie. So they the parents rented us um, the Mummy, and we all sat in the living room and watched the Mummy together and. It scared us all to death, and we pretended <laughs> like it didn't, but I hardly slept that night because, for some reason, the movie really scared me, and so I had that memory, and then was, you know, I saw the sequel for whatever reason, and then I've even seen the third one, and somehow managed to enjoy all of them, in spite of <laughs> uh, their stupidity in their own various ways. Um, so I grew up with these movies. It's a part of my childhood. It's something that... <laughs> that has stuck with me. And like you said, I think it's comfort food. This is like a cheeseburger. It's like a Carl's Jr. burger or something like that. It's got like a billion calories and it's going to kill you, but, but it's good. Um, (laughs) And you've got to have one every once in a while. So it's that kind of movie for me. So I actually, I think I'm very similar uh, because I too have a tendency to just kind of enjoy anything, even remotely swashbuckling or adventurous and, um, I love Indiana Jones. Uh, I love this. A- any kind of movie, pretty much that meets everything that you had mentioned, I-, I can watch and enjoy. You know, I- I'll watch National Treasure, Sahara, this any day of the week if it's on. Um, and then it's weird. I I do feel like I have like a nostalgic connection to this movie, even though I only saw it for the first time like two or three years ago. Because uh, I was actually, I think four when it came out so i i didn't see it growing up um but we had a a movie rental place that we would always go to and i always remember seeing the poster i i have the poster of the face in the sand like etched in my mind from a child and uh, also i think it, it because just because it stars brendan fraser <laughs> like it, it's i'm automatically gonna I just see him and memories of my childhood flash back to me, uh, whether it's George of the Jungle or Journey of the Center of the Earth or whatever. Um, and so I, and I watch it and it's just, 
everything fun about the late 90s and early 2000s and all that whole era of films is just perfectly encapsulated in this. So to me, the reason I love this is for a lot of the same reasons I like the Pirates movies. It's, it's just a fun way to spend two hours. Um, the characters are entertaining. Um, it's funny in a cheesy way. It's, it's just a fun time. I'm so glad you you mentioned Sahara because when James or, or sorry when Gabriel told me to to pick a movie for this this episode I had Sahara just like typed up and ready to go and I think the only it was between Sahara and the Mummy I think the only reason the Mummy won out this time was because um, the the remake is being released this month um, so yeah Sahara holds a special place in my heart too well maybe uh, sometime you can come back and we'll talk about that sometime it's a great movie. I will always talk about Sahara. I saw it once a while back. I don't remember particularly being fond of it. <laughs> and that's understandable. <laughs> Most people don't. <laughs> yeah, I only saw this film maybe like so a few months back. Um, when I was kind of coming into my knowledge and interest in a film, uh, Brendan Fraser was kind of a joke. I think he was in films like Furry Vengeance and Journey to the Center of the Earth. So I kind of had a hard time imagining he could be this really manly, swashbuckling Indiana Jones figure. So he kind of turned me off from ever checking it out. Um, it's a, what, what makes it such a big surprise is that when I actually watched it, I think he's probably my favorite part of the film. Uh, I guess we could just like start talking about the casting. Um, I really like Brendan Fraser in this role. Um, he... From what I've seen, it seems he does a lot of the more dorky roles. That, And so when he's playing this, what I like the best is, even though he's playing a very macho character, is when the scary things come out, he actually kind of, he sort of lapses back into that goofy, dorky uh, persona. And I, I think it's a really funny uh, contrast between how he kind of portrays his character. And then the, I think his, his face is just so expressive. Uh, especially like in the scary moments that I just I just want to watch him. He's he's very uh, entertaining to go along this film uh, following. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent with you on on Brendan Fraser, and it's funny because I remember again seeing this when it came out. Um, it's very smart casting to get Brendan Fraser in this role because he had done a couple, at least a couple of kids movies around this time. I knew him before the Mummy from uh, George of the Jungle, which have either of you seen his George of the Jungle? No. Oh, yes. It's it's a thing. Um, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he plays this like super goofy, ridiculous. Goofy doesn't even get there, right? This this crazy, ridiculous character. And then he was in Dudley Do-Right, which I think came out the same year as The Mummy. So, like, him being cast in this role um, really enabled them to market this PG-13 film toward a younger audience in a way, too. So it's it it really great casting, and... And like you said, Gabriel, I, I really appreciate how the uh, the dorky side of him comes out when bugs come out of walls or, or whatever. Uh, I love his I love his <laughs> like scared scream that he does. Yeah, he's really charismatic. Like he he feels very at home to me leading a movie. Like at uh and, and then what you were saying, his he does have just a really expressive face. Like Regardless of what's happening in the story, whether it's supposed to be funny or scary or whatever, like he's always doing something with his face, and he's, or or just like he's physically acting. Uh, he's a very he seems to be 
a very physical he always gives very physical performances um it, it's a really i don't know it's just a really fun he plays fun characters to watch like I said, he's for the kind of movie that this is which is you know we've just described it as comfort food fun to sit down and watch like he's the perfect kind of actor to just sit back and enjoy watching one of the things i i appreciate about this film is it's as stock as they are, I appreciate the secondary characters. <laughs> and I think really I appreciate the performances from a couple of the secondary characters. Um, John Hanna, who plays, I think his name is Jonathan, Evie's brother. Um, and Kevin J. O'Connor, who plays Benji. Um, those They do great in those very flimsy, paper-thin, stock character secondary roles. Um, Benji was a favorite for me when I was when I was little. I mean, he was, he was the character you quoted um, and everything. And I, I think he does a great job, great job in that performance. And then John Hanna seems like he has an increasingly large role in uh, the subsequent films because they realized, hey, this guy can actually carry some weight. I use the term weight loosely, <laughs> um, but but you know he can actually make something of this script. And so I think having these, a lot of these characters, or these actors who are in this film, really elevate the the screenwriting, which is just kind of par for the course in in my opinion um including rachel weiss Um, her presence is sorely missed in in the third film in in this series um they replaced her with maria bello um and there's just no chemistry there um she really does give give life to evie so i brought up several characters there but we can backtrack if you want (laughs) yeah i i definitely like um some of the characters they have in this and like you said they're they're there just because they probably came up, you know, in the writing room with a bunch of different ways to kill somebody and they needed to fill out all those deaths. But everybody played their parts in an entertaining way. I, I liked, I, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, but Omid Jalili, uh, who had captured Brendan Fraser. Um, <laughs> as I was watching it, my brother pointed out he almost, he often went into like almost a Charlie Day register with his voice throughout. Uh, and then I couldn't stop hearing that for the rest of the movie, <laughs> but I, I thought he was a he was a funny character, and I kind of wish that they had just killed off like one of the one of the southern guys first. Given that we had like three of them, and they all felt like super similar um, to me, they 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 felt even more stock because just because I wanted this guy to me, he provided a little bit more humor than the three of them did, but. Uh, I liked him, and then I like, I forget, I think it's Jonathan Hyde, uh, and he is an actor who I know as the father from uh, Jumanji, which is another great 90s classic. That's right. I had completely forgotten that. Who does he play? He is the, um, his name, Dr. Chamberlain. He's the guy who got the book, and he, did, he didn't have the key. Uh, he warned them not to read from it. He's not a particularly deep character, but he's got a cool voice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, about uh, John Hanna, I, I, I also uh, found him quite enjoyable. And I like that the film didn't turn him into this kind of whiny, cowardly jerk, which the type of character he is, he's like very greedy. He only wants, he only cares about treasure. So you would assume that they would have taken that route with him. But I like how, even though he does have that kind of, greedy annoying side he's also he's pretty likable and you know he gets his moments to be brave and competent like when the occasion calls and i think uh 
John Hanna just plays that role very well. Is is he? Fr- I I saw him and I knew that he was really familiar. What are some of his other roles? I I don't think I've seen him in anything besides this. Oh, looking it up now, it, it looks like he's in uh, Agents of Shield. That might actually be what I know him from. Is he? Yeah, just browsing through his um, his IMDb page, I'm not recognizing a ton. It's almost a shame because I feel like you know, given the the kind of performance he gave in that, I feel like he's he's a great actor to just to to use for these kind of comedic relief characters who aren't entirely you know obnoxious on screen. I actually did like his performance a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of afraid he would turn into like you know Chris Tucker from the last half of the Fifth Element or something. And I'm glad they didn't go that route with him. He's actually you know, quite likable and charismatic. And uh, Rachel Weiss is also she. I don't know that she gets a lot of, of like dramatic stuff to do, but I find her very earnest and determined, and she's very easy to root for. Just kind of a likable character, and I like that. Um, they did turn her into like a Kate Capshaw or something from Temple of Doom, and then while they do go the the damsel in distress route with her character, I like that it was like she makes the choice to. Uh, surrender herself to save her friend. It's not just like she's only getting captured and all the guys constantly have to just save her. I thought it, they gave her a, a bit more to do. I mean, not not a lot, but you know, a bit more than most uh, damsels in distress in that in that kind of film. Yeah, I I liked her character as well, and um, I I cannot stand Capshaw from Temple of Doom, and it is always nice whenever female characters aren't taken that route. Um, and I liked the kind of character that she played because it felt like, like you said, she's, she seems earnest. She's very likable. Um, she's not, you know, she sees some of the, the things that O'Connell does and it, he can be like, you know, obviously rude or blunt at times, but she's never obnoxious when she points that out. Um, it strikes the right balance to me of where she's clearly more proper than him but she's not really annoying about it and and then like you said her her point in the movie isn't just to get rescued um and she did make the like you said make the choice to get there uh and then just her knowledge she's clearly like the most intelligent person of the people there and she's she's there for a reason she actually even before the climax she does forward the story um with with her knowledge and I don't. Is she, she doesn't just feel like the token female character. So yeah, James, I I agree with all of that, and I I, th- I think like you're both saying, for the kind of film this is that that is going to by its very nature be populated with stock characters, does a pretty good job with with her and giving her things to do other than just be some rescue object um, for you know for the other characters to. to run around and grab. Um, and so for what it is, they, they, they do a pretty good job. Um, and a lot of the characters, I, I've, a lot of the actors here, I think elevate this script beyond what it, what it would be if you had it in, uh, in the hands of, of different, different people. Um, especially, I mean, Rachel Weiss is obviously prior to that. And, and since then has gone on to have a pretty, um, a, a pretty good career. Um, and has acted in some some very good films, um, so she's no slouch. Um, it's it's they were very fortunate to get her, I think, where they did in her career. Um, 
they wouldn't get her later on. And that's probably a large reason why they didn't get her for the, the third film. Um, cause she was, she was too big at that point. Yeah. I, I definitely see what you're saying where I, I even remember a few lines in the movie where I was thinking, you know, like that was kind of cheesy and dumb, but I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going with it because this cast just seems to be having a lot of fun with this. And so I think that if you have a cast that enjoys what they're doing and they're talented enough to be able to like completely sell these these stock characters but sell them in fun and over the top ways you you almost go along with the cheesiness and the absurdity and it's it's it almost becomes something that you're not even have to like overlook or tolerate there's almost something to enjoy about the simplicity and very on the nose kind of writing that's in the script where it's all very you know exposition heavy not a lot of like clever lines it's just it it it, like i said it to me it completely captures the whole spirit of that kind of just fun mindless adventure kind of movie of the time and they got the, the the right kind of cast because there's there's also a lot of really dumb bad movies that came out around that time and i think what separates this from that is actually got actors who can work with this kind of script and actually turn it into something enjoyable for sure and for me this is this is just a really really good combination of adventure and comedy with a little bit of horror element thrown in um and even some romance um it's just got a little bit of everything and i usually actually like movies that do that again especially when they're centered around some sort of treasure hunt or mythology or something like that um and this is a really really fun reimagining really is almost like a reimagining than it is a, a straight up remake of the the 1932 film and I'm glad that that this is the film that we got, because I know originally um, Universal wanted to make it sort of a, a low budget horror film, and I think I know uh, Joe Dante was attached to it at one point, um, George A. Romero was attached to it at one point, um, and and definitely would have been much more of a, of a horror film. Um, but I like I like the action bit, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about about the forthcoming. Uh, mummy movie with tom cruise and while i am excited about that i um i am afraid that i will just not be as head over heels about it because it it seems like it's going to be a little bit more serious um it's certainly going for a different tone and you have to take it on its own on its own terms um but this kind of this kind of comfort food is my favorite kind of comfort food um so I really do love that, that we got this film and that I'm, I'm so glad we didn't get the, the Joe Dante mummy. Yeah. Although to me, a, a George Romero one has piqued my interest. I, I can't help but wonder what that might've looked like, but like you said, I still, to me, I, I'm glad that we have this film like existing. I'm it's, it's the perfect kind of movie that we could all reminisce about and, and watch. I think to me, one of the worst feelings is to rewatch a movie of your youth and to realize how bad it is and i think to me even though we can talk about this movie just like it's you know it's comfort food it's just it's enjoyable for what it is i i think a lot of that is true but to me it's it's still a testament to the movie itself that it's still enjoyable to watch because while nostalgia definitely you know is a strong force 
I have definitely gone back and rewatched movies that I loved and gone gone away, you know, thinking, what was I thinking loving that? Like, that was horrible. Um, <laughs> but this isn't one of those. And like I said, it, it, it wasn't really a movie of my childhood, but it has the same kind of qualities of those movies. And it still, it still holds up in an enjoyable way. It really does. And I was, like you said, there are some movies I, I haven't rewatched because I'm afraid I wouldn't like them again. Some movies that I remember fondly from my childhood. Um, and thankfully the, the, the mummy movies have all, have all stuck with me, but I was nervous when I showed my wife for the first time, like, what if she hates these things? Um, that's going to be really sad to me if, if she, if she absolutely hates it. Thankfully, thankfully she didn't. And other people that I've shown these movies to, or at least the first one, um, have, have not absolutely hated it. They've, they've thought it was fun and, and I think it has held up, um, pretty well. Especially in light of, I mean, they made some pretty bold decisions that the production team did um, with using all the CGI that they did. Um, I mean, this movie was cutting edge when it when it came out. I remember that was another thing. I mean, it was a movie made for a it was a '90s movie made for a '90s audience, and I remember just we all all the kids in school like the 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 sand cloud sequence was something everyone was talking about and still today i think people people talk about that um but all of the digital technology they used to to create these special effects was was really cutting edge then um i might talk about that a little bit when we when we talk about maybe things we didn't like as much but but yeah it um it certainly it certainly has held up in spite of it seemingly being marketed to a very specific uh niche or at least um time specific audience yeah, I, I definitely will mention the CGI in my dislikes. Uh, but yeah, I, I have a hard time imagining someone coming away hating this movie. I think it, it is just so likable in how it moves. And I also, I find it quite humorous. I mean, first, it's just just the cast with uh, Brendan Fraser and John Hanna. I think they both have very good comic sensibilities. But just li- little scenes like where uh, Rachel Weiss and the warden are arguing as or bargaining for O'Connell's life as he hangs or this little Mexican standoff they have in the tombs where you have like these 10, all these 10 guys all aiming guns at everybody else. It's just comic touches throughout that keep it, like keep the tone light and uh, enjoyable. Just the, they have, they have a great cast and Summers did a great job, you know, bringing those moments out. For sure. I mean, like these, these great moments where you've got these terrifying flesh eating bugs that crawl in your brain and kill you. And then the character's like, Oh, I hate bugs. Something like that, or Brendan Fraser gives gives one of his you know classic looks. Um, so yeah, it, they they do a good job keeping it light, even though there are those nods to the kind of horror that you found in the the nineteen thirty two classic. Do you swear every damn day? <laughs> that was that was a great line. That that did get a legitimate laugh from me. I take it back. This, this, there are some moments in the script that I do think are like it's it's weird where it's. It does seem very on the nose and obvious, but it does, at the same time it feels fairly clever. Like they they know exactly what they're doing with they they know the audience that this is for, and they they know the kind of genre that they're in, and they write according to that. And oftentimes, I do think the script is actually pretty good. Yeah, for sure. I think that one of the reasons that that it it has stuck around for so long is because it's a movie that knows exactly what it is and what it wants to be, and then is not afraid to be that. Um, on the nose and just you know very happy with it like this is one of those movies that 
that I just get giddy when I watch. Like it just makes it makes me happy. It makes me feel like a kid again. Every <laughs> single time. Yeah, it's it's the same feeling, you know, as a kid when your parents say you, that uh, you're going to go get like a, a happy meal or something like <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Like, oh, that's like good. That's a good thing. I mean, it's you're not telling me that you're taking me to Disneyland, but this is this is. This is something that's fun and that I enjoy. We're gonna, I'm going to go play on the playground. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very easy, fun entertainment. We've mentioned the tone a lot, but I kind of just want to talk about it specifically a little bit more. Um, to me, it's, it's weird where you know we we say it's you know this this Indiana Jones knockoff, and obviously it took a lot of inspiration from it. But I feel like even even the movie itself knows it's it's not Indiana Jones. Kind of like what you just said earlier, Blaine. It it knows what it is. It knows it's you know, Indiana Jones came out, and it was, you know, everybody was talking about it. This is a new kind of adventurous filmmaking, and the Mummy knows it's not that, but it knows that people like that, and it knows not really like not how to directly mimic it, but how to play up what we liked about that, just the spirit of adventure. Um, and you know, when you, when you think about Indiana Jones, it had a very comedic tone, you know, throughout, but it also had, you know, the moments that would, at least for me, scar me as a child, like it, (laughs) the opening, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was definitely something that I was terrified of. Um, and so, you know, this, this never it's never quite as funny as Indiana Jones and it's never as scary as it is but it 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 still knows what we like about it and the script and the direction and the actors are all capable enough to be able to portray it to the point that makes the movie overall enjoyable so it i don't think it's trying to be the same kind of genre to me there's a difference between trying to be the same kind of movie as another one and exist in its same genre or be very on the nose with saying it's it's we're, we're not mimicking that we're almost exaggerating that we're exaggerating the things that you like about it um and so it's weird, like where the tone the, the tone ultimately comes down on indiana jones is still kind of a more a serious adventure movie and this is i think it takes itself you know definitely less seriously but it's still i don't know i I, it knows people and it knows what people like and it kind of exists as that and so the the tone to me is the best thing i can point to whenever i say why i like it just because it 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 knows everything that i like about this kind of genre and it's almost just like an homage or a nod to the genre itself as opposed to a movie belonging in it. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And in, in spite of how lighthearted this film is, I like that there is a definite sense of danger to this film. I mean, a lot of people die, and they die pretty graphically in rather horrific ways. Um, I, It's almost comic just how gruesome this film will get sometimes. It, it, it almost feels like it's a in line with the classic films, this is a movie's uh, homaging, just how it'll kind of just throw these gruesome images in your face to shock you in. Like the, the, le- the 
most unsubtle way possible. Uh, it was kind of fun just how gruesome it could get. Yeah, I mean, even that the opening mummification um, from the from the prologue, which is a throwback to the the Boris Karloff film, um, but it's. I mean, especially for nine-year-old me, I always remember it as nine-year-old me. It's quite terrifying um, to see somebody, you know, get buried alive like that. It was kind of funny how they said that the uh, scarab beetles will eat him very, very slowly. And the next time we see it, they they, take that guy down to the bones in like three seconds. (laughs) Yeah, to me, one of the deaths that I think um, at least stuck with me the most was the one that we don't actually see we just see like the his shadow on the wall as he floats and his body just shrinks and shrivels to this skeleton and it's it is weird. it's like to me the the movie strikes it, to me it's kind of impressive that it's able to do this but it strikes the tone where it's it treats death and everything going on like in just the right way to where i like i mean i don't feel guilty for laughing and watching and being entertained by this movie, even though we have all of these kind of gruesome images. And I, I think that that, uh, I, I thought about that when I was watching the movie during that death. Cause I was like that, like <laughs> I just saw a man like die in a pretty horrifying way. His, his body is like this just skeleton on the floor now, but I, I'm still just having a lot of fun with this movie. And I think that all goes back to the kind of tone that it strikes. Yeah, and we I mean, so we talked a lot about how the performances from these actors have you know elevate some of the rough spots in in the in the screenwriting and and how physical you know uh, Brendan Fraser's performance is. Um, but I think a lot of credit goes to Jerry Goldsmith as well um, because I love 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 the score for this film. Yeah, what I liked about the the score was that to me it it did exactly what Summers did with the movie itself was like it knew it knew what made the movies that we like great and it kind of emphasizes it. It's very adventurous and it it feels like it, it's always moving with momentum and it's making us want to watch because it, it just makes us feel good and have like in some way or fashion, we're kind of complicit with the adventure that's going on just because the music evokes that kind of spirit. Mm-hmm. And he's got, uh, so he's got that wonderful Egypt theme that's that, you know, that very big adventurous, um, loud theme that, that he keeps going back to. And then there's also, there's even a little romance theme, um, that gets played um, when Brennan and Evie are together, um, or Rick. Sorry, Rick and Evie are together, um, and I love how he just he has these these themes and these motifs that that he just keeps coming back to um, because they're good, because they're catchy, and because we'll love them. Um, and so again, like you said, it's, it's it's just like the rest of the movie; it, it knows exactly what it needs to be. Um, and this is it's also good because um, Jerry Goldsmith didn't do much work. Um, after this, before he passed away. Um, so it's kind of one of the, the last great scores we get from him. Huh. I actually honestly don't remember it, really anything from the score. I probably should go check it out. You were too enveloped in what was going on in the film. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think uh, for my last positive, uh, this feels kind of ironic to say this for a film that is filled with so much like abominable CGI, but I like how many great 
practical sets and you know practical action and stunt scenes there are in this film uh i guess one of the benefits of really bad cgi is you can definitely tell for sure what is cgi and what isn't and overall i think this the sets like all of the uh, sets inside of the uh, tomb i never once for a second thought oh they're just on a sound stage it always felt like they're really underground in this this scary tomb and there are some pretty impressive action sequences, especially the first two uh, battles in like large scale battles involving horses. Just I find the, those scenes to be very well executed. I mean, they, I imagine they had to be a, a nightmare to shoot, but just uh, they're very entertaining and uh, the the all the stunt work throughout I find uh, very uh, convincing. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, especially in light of my major criticism of the film, which I think we're going to have very similar ones, um, but. I'm not usually a person who gets terribly caught up in nostalgia and thinking, oh, boy, it was so good back then, and I wish it could be like it was back in the day. But um, I will say when I see some of these large epic battle sequences in this, or I always think of Lawrence of Arabia, because there's a wonderful battle sequence in um, Lawrence of Arabia um, where they literally just film uh, thousands of people riding through an entire village. Um, they really, they truly genuinely don't, uh, this isn't hyperbole. They don't make movies like that anymore. Um, because it's cheaper to do it the other way. It's cheaper to do it with CG. Um, and there's just something that, that warms my heart when I see people slaughtering one another in mass and it's actual people <laughs> doing it. It's good to know that people still practically slaughter each other in mass. It is. It's comforting. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you all have any other positives before we move into things we might not have liked? I think we got to everything that I was going to bring up. Uh, yeah, I'm good to go. All right, I'll let you one of y'all start. Uh, how about you go, uh, Blaine? So let's talk about the elephant in the room, the, the CGI. <sighs> Where to start? So I don't, I don't hate all of the CG in this in this film, and I understand. Again, cutting-edge technology. They wanted to make a, a film for a, a 90s audience. It is a 90s movie. Um, but there are just parts of the movie that, that watching today, I just wish they had had done in practical effects. I wish they had done more with, um, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but The Mummy. Um, I wish they had done more practical effects on The Mummy's face instead of CG with the CG um, like tears in his face or whatever. Um where the bug runs through and, and whatnot. Um, and there, there are just bits and pieces here where, where I'm like, oh man, I, that could have been a practical effect and it could have been awesome. I honestly even would have preferred a bit more of um, the, the mummy when he's in mummy form um, as a practical effect. But that's just kind of my, my preferences. Some of it's just kind of wonky looking to me. That being said, um, in a, I still think this movie has the best special effects of, of either of the other mummy, movie, mummy movies. The Scorpion King, you've seen that, <laughs> is just terrible. Like, terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah that that would, be, would be probably my biggest dislike, is just so much of the CGI is, is just truly awful. And, and it's not like, oh, they used it to clean up some of the scenes in the background. There are so many scenes where it is right just shoved into the camera like they were they were they were really proud of this effect and yeah i guess for 1999 it is good but it it never looks remotely real 
uh, especially when it's when it's like the, the mummy itself. But I guess there is a point where I just, I guess I get so numb to the bad CGI that I stop caring that it's bad and I just kind of enjoy the film. So I'm not sure if that's actually a compliment. But uh, yeah, although the opening CGI shot of the of the uh, Egypt was actually pretty impressive for 1999. So they they got they got one good shot out of it. Yeah, no, you're right, and they are very very proud of their. Their CGI. If you've ever seen any of the special features or like the making of the mummy yeah. um, featurette, it's like the entire thing is just about the CGI. They don't talk about anything else. It's all CGI. So like this was cutting edge. It was a big deal then. They were doing a, like the early, early stages of motion capture technology and stuff. Um, so it was a big deal. But yeah, a, a lot of it just, <laughs> it doesn't hold up. But I think like you said, Gabe, it's, once I'm 10, 15 minutes into the film, I'm just like, okay, this is what it is. And I roll with it. But, but yeah, when I, when I step back and I try to think about the film objectively, like, man, we, we could have used some more practical effects. I think that I'm, I'm typically fairly forgiving um, for movies, especially in this era. Uh, one mainly because like you said, this, it, it kind of was cutting edge at the time. Um, and these kind of special effects kind of had to have been so that we can get to where we are today. Like there's always that transition point where like man, CGI was in everything cause they had just discovered it and it was great for the time and people couldn't, you know, believe what they were seeing. And, you know, looking back on it, we look at that and, you know, roll our eyes, but you know, it, it's what it was at the time. And so while I still notice it and roll my own eyes at it, I can forgive it just because of its time period. And then secondly, like I said, almost every movie in that era had really bad kind of CGI like that. And I have a really soft spot for the movies of that era. So whenever I see bad CGI like that, instead of thinking that's bad CGI, I think, oh man, this reminds me of this. And it reminds me of that. And it like, it just, you know, it it reminds me of an era of a uh, of of an era of movies that I have a lot of fun uh, fond memories of. Yeah, I mean CGI is to ninety movies what guitar solos are to eighties. <laughs> That's that is a great metaphor. And, and one thing that does help is having such gifted physical performers, like the scenes where Brendan Fraser is frantically sword fighting with all these creatures, was like shot with him completely by himself. But he totally sells that he is scared and that he that he's fighting these things. So he 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 uh, makes up for what where the uh, CGI fails. So I, I I believe he's doing that. So I, I I definitely see what y'all are saying with the CGI. And at at times, you know, I do think that one one of the negative things about that is because it was so cutting edge at the time, they could use that and people wouldn't roll their eyes and it actually worked for the scarier moments. But now we just kind of you know, roll our eyes. Um, but w- the only other really thing that I can think of as something I dislike about the movie is, and it, it's not a huge dislike. It's just, we've talked about how the movie knows what it is. And because of that, it allows itself to, you know, be goofy and not take itself too seriously and just emulate other kind of movies in a, you know, a nostalgic way every now and then. And I, I didn't actually, I didn't take the time to write out specific lines, um, I probably should have just so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. But 
sometimes, not often, but sometimes it does feel like the the uh, it, it gets su- just maybe a little bit too silly, um, kind of for its own good. And I can just imagine like the writer and director just or I had the same person, Summers, just you know, kind of using the whole we we know what we are, we know what we're doing, as an excuse to just kind of do whatever he wants and kind of write however many silly things or like or lines and like I said, it, it doesn't happen often and really the only thing that I can think of on the off the top of my head um and I, I don't know why I disliked the scene the way I did it's really nothing big but it's the it's the initial scene with Rachel Weiss's character on the ladder to me that like it was maybe a bit much just by way of character introduction um and like I said, it's it's not an enormous, it's not a huge deal. It's just, I think if it had if it had scaled it back just a little bit, it would have been like that perfect tone. Um, it it still absolutely is the right kind of tone, but I think it it lets itself get carried away just a hair too much sometimes. Yeah, I, I think my my second big problem with this film is that the script is incredibly thin like there's there's literally no attempt at any kind of character arc for any of the characters and i guess i guess it's better to to not even try try than to have tried and done it badly but still i and it just makes the film feel very uh weightless and kind of inconsequential just you know how shallow these characters are Anything that is here with these characters is there because of the actors. Um, and also, there just there isn't a lot of momentum with the plot. It just kind of ha- feels like it has a couple distinct chapters. The film will move to this one. It'll finish that and then move to the next one in a very deliberate fashion. That It doesn't feel like there's a driving narrative that you know, connects this and pushes it forward. So it's not a huge issue. But there are a couple of moments where it felt like a, just a, l- a little slower. I'm wondering, like, you know, where is this going What's happening now? And like, when are we going to get moving again? And so it's not a huge issue. I, th- I think the film is generally fairly uh, entertaining. It's just the lack of character development, the lack of a, like a cohesive driving plot, I think makes the film feel kind of forgettable to me. Like I watch it. I enjoy it while I'm watching it. I'm done. It's like, I don't even remember what I just saw. <laughs> All right. So y'all have any, anything else you want to mention before we move into our final thoughts? I don't think so. I think I'm ready to move on. I'll I'll let you start, James. So my final thoughts for this movie would pretty much just be a summary of all the positive things we had to say about it. Um, You know, to echo almost everything that Blaine said, it's I'm just I'm a sucker for anything. You know, they're they're looking for buried treasure. They're trying to find a lost whatever. It's you know, it's a big journey that they're having to do. I, I just eat it up. It's so enjoyable for me. Um, especially if I find the cast entertaining and funny, uh, and that's definitely how I see Brendan Fraser and I like Rachel Weiss and a lot of the other side characters they got. So it's you know something that you said earlier was it's it's hard to imagine anyone why anyone would actually like hate this movie, and that's just because it's it's too fun to hate. It's it's having too much fun. Uh, it's having too much fun existing and being itself to dislike it, and so it's not 
insanely memorable. So uh, you know, unless you you did grow up with it, which I didn't. You're not gonna like. It's not always gonna be a movie that comes up in your mind whenever you're thinking about, you know, maybe this genre or just movies movies in general. But anytime it is on. I will watch it and I will always have a good time. I've seen it like three times in the past three years, I think. Um, and I, I always end up enjoying it. It's always really fun. And it does kind of capture that spirit of unbridled adventure that I love movies having. So overall, there's really no reason to not like it. It's it's just a fun time. Yeah, I would I would second all of that. And I would, I would say that if you're going to check out one of these 90s action-adventure comedy movies, I would say this is a pretty good one to check out if you're interested in, in looking at a, at a film from the period. Um, I think this is, this is one of the best ones you could look at. And it, this was a film also that, that Roger Ebert, the late Roger Ebert, um, loved i think he said in spite of itself you know in spite of the fact that he knew better he just he had a blast and couldn't help but love it and it sort of baffled a bunch of the other film critics at the time they're like how how could you like this it's big it's dumb it's stupid um but he just had fun like the rest of us um and so yeah this is a movie that puts a smile on my face that's 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 about as close as I can get to a, a coherent final thought for a movie for a movie like this. But I think we've we've all summed up the things we we love about it and that make it. I think I think it's underrated um, because it, it it was critically panned. Um, it's a movie that's not talked about a ton today, and I, I think it it probably deserves a revisit a little bit or a little bit more attention than it gets. It's funny you brought up Roger Ebert because I actually I had a quote that I wanted to read uh, from him. It's uh, he said a. Uh, there's hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the, the mummy, but I can say that I was not bored and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. And I think that pretty well sums up my thoughts on the film, although I would argue for the acting. Uh, it, it, it's just a fun, likable film that I could see myself, you know, putting on. You don't have to think much. It's just, you just, it's just there to enjoy. Um, I kind of wish I did grow up with it. I might not have just some of the issues I have just with the bad CGI. It, it sticks out the, um, you know, the plot holes, not the plot holes, the, the, the lack of, you know, a driving plot or character development, that kind of stuff. It, it, it makes it hard to care much for me. So like, I think I would, if this was on TV, I would stop by, sit down and watch it. And I can say it did make me want to go, uh, rewatch the third one although to be fair it was watching the second one that made me decide not to re to watch the third one so <laughs> there's that all right um so uh thanks again for coming on blaine it was a uh, really great having you and before we close uh i want to give you another chance to promote uh, your show or anything else you want to mention sure yeah thanks for thanks for having me on i had, I had a blast talking about this movie um, if you want to find me online, you can check out realworldtheology.com or christandpopculture.com. And then you can look up Home One Radio in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Um, and so you can check me out there. You can also find me on Twitter, um, tweeting away at, about random things. All right. Uh, so again, I'd like to ask you guys uh, to please do us a favor and go and rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Underrated Podcast. Feel free to comment with uh, with suggestions of films you think are underrated. 
And if you want to find older episodes, you can go to our website, underratedpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. All right. Um, so for next week, I think to celebrate the release of Cars 3, um, I don't know why they're making it, uh, Cars 3, but anyway, to celebrate the release of that film, we're going to go and talk about Monsters University, which I think is a very underappreciated film from Pixar. Yeah, I actually haven't seen that all the way through. Um I was initially thinking we were going to do Cars 2. I, I haven't seen Cars 2, and I know it's got super low uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores, so I figured we were going to do that, but I'm assuming that you you agree with that score, so <laughs> I may skip out on that. But I am looking forward on finishing uh, Monsters University because Monsters, Inc. is actually my favorite Pixar film. Yeah, I think Cars 2 will be a pretty unpleasant show. So until next week with Monsters University, we will see you later. See ya. is the true measure of a monster. If you're not scary, what kind of a monster are you? It's my job to make great students greater, not make mediocre students less mediocre. That is why at the end of the semester there will be a final exam. Fail that exam and you are out of the scaring program. So, I should hope you're all properly inspired.